0: I'm glad you're here today, and uh, I am in the last the last planned week of the sermon series called Game Changers, and this has been, uh, I don't know if it's done anything for you, and at times I'm not even sure that's the point, because God has done so much with me and my heart um, during this sermon series, and today you're going to hear me pour it all out. Um, I really am today. You're going to hear... What's in my personal heart today, which I don't like to preach that way because I don't think that really matters how often, but you are going to hear today what's in my heart personally about church, about God, about you, about your kids, and about the brokenness and paragon and our job. You're going to hear that today. You're also going to hear some things today that challenge you, um, and what I know about this area is that challenges are welcomed. You're some of the hardest working people in all of America, in this area. When it comes to working in your yard, when it comes to doing what you need to do to put things together, you don't take the easy way, and this is not the easy way to do life that we're talking about today. And uh, you're going to hear a lot, you're going to hear me say a lot of things, maybe some things you've never heard before when it comes to God. And so here's what I want to do. We do this every week, and you will miss what I'm going to say today if you don't tune out some of the things in your life. You will miss it, you'll be mad at me. You'll be mad at somebody in your life. You'll be thinking about money. You'll be thinking about what's going on after the church service. You'll be thinking about food. Your stomach will be rattling. I don't know what will happen, but you will be distracted if you don't quiet down right now. Some of you in this place have been church people, and you know exactly what I mean. You've been church people since you can remember. You have never had a time in your life where you weren't in church. Some of you have not been in church that long, but you have been so ingrained in church that it's kind of like that. I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you, if you can do this, to open your mind to thinking differently about church, thinking differently about God. I know that might be scary. I know it might be hard. And I know that some of you might resist it. It usually looks like this. That's what it looks like. I know what it looks like visually. And if you don't do it, that's just between you and God. It's not between me and you. But I'm going to ask you today to open up your mind because I believe I believe God wants to literally change our community, and I believe it's possible, but it only happens in one way, and I bet you'll be surprised by it today, and we need your help desperately. Before we do that today, I want to get our hearts right. I want to get quiet, um, as quiet as it gets in this room, which is not completely quiet, um, and I want to get our our hearts right today, and the way we do that, if you're a Christian, is to go, God, get my heart right, and give it a deep breath. (laughs) If you're not a Christian, you're not sure you've got a relationship with God, no problem. God still wants a relationship with you. And even if you don't believe in God, he believes in you. So this morning, you can say to him, hey, I, I just would you kind of calm down the rest of the stuff in my life? And even if you're there, would you, would you let me hear something today that makes sense and speaks to my life? Let's take a deep breath, say those things. I'll close us in prayer, and then I'm going to dive deep into this today. Got in the quiet in this room, would you give us perspective? Would you give us a different want to in life? That ache that's in some of our hearts, would you direct all of that to you today, even if we're not sure we believe? God, if there be anything in this room as a Christian person, there's a Christian person in this room today whose heart is hardened because of listening and listening and listening and reading the Bible and hearing sermons and hearing it so much and, and learning so much but never putting it in action that their heart has become so hard they can't hear right anymore. Would you break it? No. There's anybody in this room today, God? who has been so hurt by church people, been so frustrated by God that they have given up, would you soften their heart right now? And then God in me, would you make me more than I am right now? Because I, this is too big today for a human to talk about. This information is too important for it to be my opinion today. So would you take, strip any opinion out of this, strip any of my thoughts out of this, and make it yours at all cost, even if you have to strike me down in the middle. I love the church. Now let me get this straight. I don't love church. In fact, Sunday mornings, still really hard for me. I love you, and I love, I love the, the body of the church, but church services themselves, I've been to so many in my life that the, I, my brain shuts off. It kind of goes into neutral on Sunday mornings at times. And I go, well, I know what that is. It's three songs, and then John's going to ask everybody to stand up and shake hands, and then John's going to get up and blabber and tell stories about his kids and make me feel a little something, and then we're going to sing another song, and then we're going to take a little bit of communion, and then we're going to sing another song, and we're going to go home. Uh, yeah, that's what we do. I don't, I don't, that's not the part I love, okay? I, I enjoy being with you guys, but I, that's not the part I love, and that's not what I mean when I say I love the church. Here's what I mean when I say I love the church. I love getting around Pam at the end of this service and crying because I, in, in the midst of who I am, in the middle of my life, I can stop for a minute and say I care about this human who doesn't even have my blood in her. I, I love when I open up Facebook and I see my buddy Nick and his daughter with everything he's gone through, I set with him through a lot of that stuff and I feel what he feels and when I see him going through a hard life and doing it right, I love what it does in me because we're doing life together. That is the church, and that's what I love. The problem is it's not the church for everybody. in fact, There are more bad experiences in churches than there are good experiences in America right now. And here's the thing. The bad experiences that people have in church don't have anything to do with Jesus. They don't have anything to do with God. They don't have anything to do with Jesus. Nobody leaves a church and goes, man, that place really offended me. That Jesus guy is a jerk. No. It's the way the people who are following Jesus treat people that causes the bad experience I love the church I believe the church is the hope for the future one time 2,000 years ago the church changed the world forever the church changed the world forever and if the world is going to change again it's going to happen from the church I believe that with all of my heart and that's why I'm standing here today but I don't believe it's going to change the way many of us Christians think it's going to change and we're going to talk about it today. Jesus came to, to, to bring something completely new to earth. And church people have missed it. Church people, by and large, throughout the throughout the last thousand years, especially, have missed what Jesus brought to earth. Because we've diluted it with some old thinking. So when Jesus came to earth. There was a big group of people who were worshiping at the temple. They were going to church, like, many, like maybe some of you today. When things get hard in your life, you go, boy, things are hard. I need to get to church. Or, boy, I feel really guilty right now. I need to get to church. That's an old way of thinking. That's a pre-Jesus way of thinking. It used to be that when you felt bad about something or when you felt like your life was in trouble, you needed to go to some place, to a place where God existed, where he lived, and worship him and feel better about yourself. When Jesus came, he said, guess what? That is over. God has sent me to tell the world that the temple way of thinking is over. So in the temple model, there were sacred places. There were these sacred places where you would go when your life got hard or when you felt guilty about something, and you would have to go to that place to meet with God. Now, you couldn't meet directly with God because there were sacred men who you had to talk to. And by the way, there were never women. they were always men. They were sacred men who you had to talk to to get between you and God. And then there were these sacred, sacred texts. They, they were There's always these things written by sacred men who people raised up and said, this is what God said. And, and in the Old Testament, and, and, and for the first people that, that God um, spoke to this way, He said, I want you to be set apart from the world. He set apart a group of people. The world was a mess. And He said, I want to set apart a group of people who will live differently. And so he said to them, I want you to dress differently. I want you to eat differently. This is why when you go to the Old Testament, you hear all these weird things about what food to eat and what to wear and how to live. And you hear all these things. And now some people like to bring that into the church today and go, see, I told you, you're not supposed to be doing this. It's funny because then they still eat pork and the other things. They just pick and choose which things from the Old Testament they think you should still be held accountable to. But the truth is, what Jesus came is he said, guess what? I didn't come to bring temple model worship 2.0. I came to abolish some of the thinking that you've had. I came to change your mind about God, and I came to bring something entirely new. No more will there be sacred places. In fact, this will offend people that are listening to this today because they'll still telling their kids they shouldn't run in God's house. For some reason, now maybe they shouldn't run in the church, but it's not because it's God's house. Because God's house, God doesn't live here. In fact, Jesus would come to earth, and when he came to earth, the place that God lived at that point was the temple. And when Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross for our sins, the curtain in the temple crashed and shattered and broken. And Christian people I know have been trying to sew the curtain between God and people together since then. And Jesus says, no more of that. In fact, if you you feel trapped by the church, if you feel imprisoned by Christians or by the Bible or by God, you need to go back and listen to my last week's sermon. It's about freedom. Where Paul says this, if you don't feel free, if the version of following Jesus doesn't make you free, the version that you are engaging in is messed up. If the version of Christianity that you have in your life is causing you to feel constricted or is causing the people around you to feel constricted, your your version is wrong. Jesus would say, I came to bring freedom from the law. And now Jesus would say, and this made people so mad, I came to bring you freedom from the law. Now there is one law that all the laws and all the prophets hang on, and that is love people differently. Jesus would say, I came to bring a new Plan. His model was a new relationship with God, a new command. People said at that point in history, there was something like 650 different commands in the Old Testament. And people would try to memorize them. And they would teach their kids them. And they would write them down. And then they would make up new ones. And they would sub-laws that they were creating. They would take the Ten Commandments and they would put it in the schools. And they would go, hey, if there's not Ten Commandments in the schools, then kids won't know. And then the kids would walk by them and didn't care anyway. And then people would pick it around, you know. And and this is what they did. And and Jesus would come and say, no, no, no. No more of that. There is one law. And if you get this law right, you don't need any more. Jesus would create a new ethic. The new ethic was obeying the rules doesn't make you right with God anymore. The horizontal, the loving people is what makes you right with God. The way you treat the people around you now is the new ethic. The vertical is now measured by the horizontal. Jesus would say it's changing everything and it created a new movement of humans. And this might surprise you. But did you know that the first church of people, the first group of people that created the, a church, first of all, that was a, that, the Greek word for that is um, ekklesia. And it's a word that doesn't mean church. It means gathering of people. It means group of people doing life together. That's what Jesus called the church. And then we somehow got this German word that we now use for the word church. And how this word got into the Bible is not from God. And the, the church now means building where people go and sit in rows and listen to a boring preacher. But that's not what Jesus called it. He called it an ecclesia, a little gathering of people who do life together. And those people didn't memorize the Bible. Did you know that? They didn't sit in Sunday school class and teach their kids John 3:16. They didn't. They didn't sit and teach each other about the law. They didn't. In fact, some of them couldn't even read. If they had the Bible, it was some Old Testament books. It was hard for most of them to read. Most of them couldn't even read. And they changed the world. You know how? It wasn't by quoting Scripture. It wasn't by voting Republican. It wasn't by picketing around the courthouse. The way they changed the world was that Roman babies who were girls were thought of as worthless. And they'd be dropped out into the corner and nobody wanted them except one group of people the Christians they went to the corner and picked up the babies that nobody wanted and loved them and when the diseased people that caused everyone else to be infected when they started dying people would gather away and they would move away and they would step and they would follow far from the people who were diseased except for one group of people and they stepped to them they touched the hurting people That's what changed the world. And, ladies and gentlemen, people I love, we are not going to change Paragon with rules. We are not going to change Paragon and Martinsville. We are not going to change them with the Ten Commandments hanging in our schools. It doesn't work. What works is love. Because Jesus said the horizontal is now what measures your relationship with God and it's what changes the world. Jesus would start a movement that changed everything. And then we diluted it. Humans diluted this. People started taking some of their rules from the Old Testament. Taking some of the things that were, were, that God had created for this group of people. He set this group of people apart, these Old Testament people from the world and he did say you're set apart. You need to be different. And when Jesus came he said that is over. No more set apart like that. No more, we're over here and you're over there. In fact, Jesus, and we'll talk about this in a minute, when Jesus would leave, he would say, you need to go into the world now. Now, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to kind of gather in our circles and stay away from the world? No, no, Jesus said, you go to the world. Things have changed. And when we, when, when the church started getting bigger and Christians started infiltrating it and doing, or infiltrating it, however you want to say that word, when Christians started getting getting their own ideas and their own laws and started pointing fingers at people and using the Bible as a baseball bat? When they started doing that, love lost. And when love lost, it started infusing Jesus' plan for world changers with this old mixed up thing. And when a little bit of a wrong thing gets mixed into the right thing, Christians started using the Bible as a baseball bat. And you know exactly what I mean. Picking and choosing parts of the Bible that weren't even written for them and using it as a bat to beat people over the head who they didn't like the way they lived or they wanted to somehow submit to them. But we can get back. We can get back. I believe this with all of my heart and it's why I'm standing here today. In fact, the truth is if I didn't believe we could get back to that, I would not be preaching. There was a point in my life where I decided I'm done preaching. Because when, when we give information, when preachers give you information and, and make you think that's the end, like here's some information for you, now you're holy, th- that just makes it worse. It just makes it worse for you to memorize the Bible and go home and sit in your recliner and wait till next Sunday. It makes it worse. And I didn't want to be a part of that anymore, so I got out. And then I met a group of people at New Life Christian Church in Paragon. When I took a worldly job, I decided I wasn't going to preach. My dad was preaching in this place, and he got sick one week, and I decided to come in here, and I met a few people that just said, hey, there's a hurting world out there, and we think that it's partly our job to fix it. And I went, huh, I can preach to that. I can be a part of that. I believe that what we're about to do, and what Jesus has called us to, is simple. And it makes church people really mad. Because you want to say, well, what about the rules? And what about this ten things? And what about our bylaws? And what was about this little thing? And Jesus goes, all of that is gone. It's simpler than that. And church people go, but it can't be. But it is. Now, it's simple. But it is demanding. I told Glenn I was going to talk about him today. First time I met Glenn. I love Glenn. You know, the first impressions you get with people, they, they're hard to lose. And sometimes that's a good thing and that's a bad thing. But every time I see Glenn's face, I think of this moment. We were, we were doing this thing at, at New Life at that point called Pay It Forward. We need to get back to some of that stuff. But it was awesome. And it was like, just go in and just love people for no reason and do things for them that's just ridiculous that they don't have any reason to, to have done. And we were digging a hole. And now, if you look at my hands, there's not a lot of calluses on them. I'll just be real honest. And if you look at Glenn's hands, in fact, I got to be real careful when I shake Glenn's hands cuz they will cut me. Um, <laughs> the same thing with a few others. If you you're just you're just strong dudes and you hard working guys and I I'm 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 not and I'm trying to but so we're sitting and we're supposed to be doing manual labor and it was Glenn and I and two other men who were preachers by the way from other churches. And we're all sitting there and there was a hole to be dug and it was a post and it was a post hole digger. And when I was a kid, this was the worst thing in my life my dad used to make us use these post hole diggers and it's very simple contraption if you're not familiar with it it's this long thing that you go like this and then they they put like nails in the sides of the handles so that your hands get all messed up I think they must and and so you 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 get it down in the hole and you gotta be real strong and you go oh and you hit it and then you like scoop it out and about two inches of dirt comes out with every time you do it and then you pull it out and you look down in the hole and you got four inches dug in 14 hours That's the way I grew up, and that's what a post hole digger meant to me. And we sat there, and we had this big hole to dig, and you know what I did? I I did what Christians do. Hey, there's a problem we have. We need this thing done. What should we do? Here's what I did. I said, you know what? I think John Grenier probably has a piece of machinery that will dig that hole for us. Why don't we call John, get a tractor over here. A few days, he could come over here, probably knock that out for us real quick. And then I said things like We should work smarter, not harder. Right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we say. Hey, I got an idea. And so one of the other ministers said, you know what? I got a buddy that saw. And you know what I heard as we started talking? I heard, Phew! you know what that sound is? If you've ever dug a hole. It's the first slap of the post hole digger doing its job. Was Glenn? Glenn didn't talk much. Stephen, to this day, he sings like a bird, but he won't. He didn't talk much, and he didn't need to. You know, while the rest of us were talking about how to dig a hole, Glenn took the simple tool that was demanding and just dug the stupid hole in the church. We like to have staff meetings, and we like to have planning seminars, and we like to have elders groups and leadership meetings. We like to talk about what we're going to do. We like to make big plans, and when it comes down to it, Jesus is saying, I put the post hole digger next to the hole, just dig. It's called love. Stop arguing with your neighbor and love them. Stop looking at people who don't have the same skin color of you, picking out things that you don't like about them, and pick up the post hole digger in love. It's simple, and it's demanding. And we can get back to making church irresistible again. You know, in the 90s, this is just laughable to me, in the 90s, there was this big movement in church to teach people to do evangelism. Evangelism, if you're not a church person, is this thing that Christians say when they say, this is how we go out and, and talk other people in to come to boring church. <laughs> you know, like, what am I going to say to get them to come to the boring church, you know? And that's what evangelism was in the 90s. It was like this thing that you, you had to try to talk people in to come into church. And how do you tell your story? And what kind of evangelism are you going to be engaged in? And, I mean, I took all the classes, and I took all the notes, and I taught it all, and I did all this stuff. And as I was preparing the sermon, I realized, I bet Jesus is standing over the railing of heaven. I'm not sure there really is one, but in my mind there is. He's standing over the railing ahead and going, what are these guys doing? I showed them how evangelism works, if that's the word they want to use to it. This worked in the first century with no classes on how to tell your story. And, oh, I'm a talker kind of evangelism. and Oh, I'm an inviter kind of evangelist. Jesus goes, no, you're all being ridiculous. Love people, and the church becomes irresistible. People start coming and don't even know who Jesus is. They just want to be a part of that thing. If you want the gospel to gain traction again in America, oh, this is going to make people mad. And I, This is one of those things, as a preacher, I don't put everything on the screen. And so this is one of those things I knew if I didn't put this on the screen, I wouldn't have the guts to say it because there's so many of you that are going to be mad at me about this. But some of you have said things like America's going to hell in a handbasket. You've said America's not what it used to be. You said America needs to change, and and you all have something to say about who's in charge. Like somehow voting the right person in charge of our country is going to change everything. It hasn't yet, and it's not going to. Like some of you say, what we need to do is picket around the Capitol building. And like, like somehow yelling and getting madder and acting like you're not part of the problem is going to help the situation. So I wrote this down today because I believe it comes straight from God. If you want the gospel, if you want Jesus to gain traction again in America, you don't do it with picket signs, ugly Facebook posts, and bad voting thoughts. You do it with love. That's how you gain traction with the Word of God back in America. And if you aren't willing to do that, if you aren't willing to do that, you're not just distracting from the cause. You are setting the cause of love and Jesus Christ back. So please, if you love America, and I know you do, you've got flags planted front. If you love America. Stop talking about like it's all going to change because somebody different's in charge. Stop acting like the world is going to change or America is going to change just because of a few laws that need to be changed or because people don't agree with you. What changes people is the way you treat them. So I have five things I want to say today. It's funny because I've already said a lot more than that, but I have five more things I want to say today, Okay. And I usually, when I prepare a sermon, it takes me a long time, and I usually have to kind of, the truth is, I had 30 things that I wanted to say today. I know, I promise I got it narrowed down. Many of you went, oh my gosh. And my big preparation this week was deciding how how many of these things I was going to tell you and deciding which ones. Five things that I think we need to do to redefine the church. I told Risha this this morning. I said, I've got five things I'm going to tell people today and the way that we need to redefine the church. She goes, huh, that's funny. After you told me those five things, I wonder if you may be redefining your job. (laughs) Maybe? No, not here. The first one is the word church. Here in New Life, I don't want to say we're going to church anymore. I don't want to talk about it like a place that we go because Jesus didn't talk about it that way. And I think when we talk about it like a place that we go, what it allows you to do and what it allows me to do as the preacher, it allows you to sit in our orange ugly pews and do nothing but hope that something happens to you. This is old model thinking. If you come to our church and you sit in our pews and you just go, huh, nothing happened today. It's old temple model thinking. It's not what Jesus brought. Jesus said this. In 1 Corinthians, actually, Paul says this about the church. It's not a club. He says, you are the body of Christ. We sing a song like that today. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you has your own part. You are the body of Christ. If you're a Christian and you're in this church and you're a part of this church and you just come to church, you're missing something. And according to Paul, the church is missing something that God has uniquely defined in you that you should be providing to us. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you proclaim that and you come to this place and you're not serving, you're like an, amp, like an amputated body part. And you know what that is? Just gross. <laughs> like an amputated arm. Just flailing about. Not useful, not, meant, not doing what it's supposed to do. If you feel like you're coming to church and you're missing something because you just come to church, then you have missed something. The temple model was about consuming. It was. It was about going and seeing what God could give you. Jesus' model is about engaging. It's about engaging. It's about plugging in. It's about doing something, anything, that God has given you. So don't ever mistake. When it comes to the word church, don't ever mistake a church for a building. Because it's not. It's a little group of people doing life together that Jesus referred to as a body. And everybody needs to do their own part. Next slide. The next redefining term is leadership. Man, if you've been in leadership, an elder or a deacon or a preacher or, or a, a, on staff in some way or in, in leadership, in church, this, this has got out of control. We have totally misunderstood leadership. In fact, I talked to somebody about this today. This is really about, about authority, it's about when you have authority over somebody, and this, this applies to you too, parents. Those of you who have kids at home and you like to exercise your authority so that you can get your lawn mowed or so you can get your things done. The world, that's the way the world always worked. And when Jesus came, that's also the way the church worked. The preachers got all the money. Boy, have things changed. The, the, the church leaders got all of the authority. And I'll tell you what, if you're a church leader... And you can get up and you can tell people things that are from God. And you can put your own twist on it. And you get to tell people who's going to heaven and who's going to hell based on the way they live their life. You got power. And Jesus would say, that power's gone. And so, guess who crucified him? It was the church leaders, pretty much. I mean, they didn't crucify him, but they got him in trouble, and they hated him, and they kept moving him around. It was mostly the church leaders who said, we've got to let this guy go, because he thinks we don't have authority anymore. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus called all of these people together, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. The way the world works is that authority, if you're a boss today, this is just for you. If you have people who are working for you, or working under you in some way, this is just for you. Jesus would say, the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them you go do this if you're a dad or you're a mom you kids you go do that you go clean your room you go mow the yard you go and i remember this kid this guy one time that said he, his his remote control was his son this was back before you had a tv with a remote control he said oh i got one of those tvs a fancy remote control hey harry get up turn channel five you know that's That was his remote control. That was him exercising his authority to get something. This is the way the world works. In fact, his disciples would go, yeah, Jesus, that's why we're following you. Because if you're king one day, then we get to have that authority and we get to rule over people. Jesus said something, and I hope you hear this today. He used four words that you need today. Not so with you. You want to follow Jesus? You have a different kind of leadership. You're a different kind of parent. You're a different kind of boss. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, whoever wants to be top dog at your firm, has to be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. So your responsibility as a Jesus follower is to leverage your authority to love people more. Can you imagine if we took this seriously as Christians? Can you imagine if you as a boss... Didn't think of your bosshood as something you could just flaunt and go, hey, go get me one of those. Can you imagine as a parent, if you didn't think of yourself as the top dog, but instead you thought of yourself as the one serving? You know what would happen? People everywhere would want to work for Christians. Not because of what they believe, but because it feels like they're on my side. Jesus says, "That's, that's who you're supposed to be. Next slide. Okay, marriage. Jesus came to redefine marriage, not just marriage, but the roles of men and women. Please listen to me because I've talked for a long time this morning, and those of you who have been around church at all have a presupposition about church and Jesus and marriage and women and men and equality and submission and all kinds of things. And I want you to hear today what I believe Jesus said about men and women. And this is going to be offensive to some of you. And this is going to challenge some of your beliefs. And I have prayed about it for five straight weeks. And it has kept me awake at night. And I believe we have to cross this hurdle before we move forward and change this community. And here it is. Jesus, when he stood on this earth, was standing in a place where men had put themselves in charge. They had put themselves in charge religiously. They put themselves in charge politically because they were stronger. They weren't smarter. They didn't have anything but more muscle. And they used their brute force to be in charge. And the leaders, the men leaders... Even said, God wants me to be in charge. And God set it up with the Old Testament so that men were in charge. And when Jesus came, He said something that caused, out of all the things Jesus said, this caused more disciples to leave Him than almost anything else He said. He said this, there is no more male or female when it comes to roles. There is no more male or female. And so they said, but what do you mean, Jesus? Who's in charge of the home? And Jesus started talking about how things had changed now that He came. And when He did, He said, it's a level playing field. No more, He's better than her. No more, He's in charge of this and she's in charge of that, but really we'll just give her some things to be in charge of so she feels like it. No more. It made Jesus so mad that he got red in the face and his disciples got so mad. Some of them walked away and some of them started realizing the implications. Well, if I'm not in charge, that means I have to do the dishes every now and then. That means maybe I am the one that needs to stay with the kids. Maybe that means I need to be submissive to my wife. And they started walking away. And finally, here's what they said. The disciples said to him, well, Jesus, if this is the situation, this is really passive aggressive. If this is a situation between a husband and wife, it's better just not to marry. And Jesus looked them in the face and said, Yes, sir, it is. And let me tell you right now, men, those of you who grew up in a home where your dad emotionally abused your, your mom or the women in your house by somehow telling them that he was in charge, when at the same time he showed no love, if you're passing that on to your kids t- today and you're getting ready to go get married, let me tell you, it is better for you not to marry in the eyes of God than for you to take that junk into marriage because jesus said no more of this when jesus finished talking about men at marriage men lost their advantage on this earth and jesus replaced ownership with a hundred percent partnership I, I got i'm not allowed to do marriage counseling anymore i'm just not allowed and there's a, there's probably a good reason but it my the last person i did marriage counseling with this is how it went um they're not in this church, so it'll be fine. But this is how it went. He came to me and he said, hey, John, she needs to submit to me. I brought a piece of paper that says that. God says she needs to submit to me. I said, hang on, let me see that piece of paper. You know what it said. If you're a Christian and you've been in the church for very long, you know which scripture he pointed to. He pointed to the scripture that he pulled right out of the thin air where Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. He didn't give me the Bible. He didn't hand me a Bible because i do not sure if he ever read the Bible. He found a piece of scripture on Google, copied it and pasted it into a Word document, and printed it for me, and it said, wives, submit to your husbands. Didn't even have a scripture reference. That's in the Bible, John. Tell her. And I sat down. It, It wasn't people from this church, but it was right up there in that room. I sat down, and I said, hey, I see the paper. Read me the first word in that sentence. He goes, and by the way, his wife was sitting in a chair like this, scared to death. I said, read me the first word in that sentence. And he said, wives. And I said, mind your business. Mind your own business. Not even written for you. So shut it. That's why I don't let me do counseling anymore. Huh? They don't <laughs> let me do counseling. And then I said, now let me get the Bible out for you. Because this piece of paper doesn't say the, what the Bible says. And the very first piece of scripture in that. Next slide there. Ephesians chapter 5.21, this is the verse he was talking to me about. What he read was the next verse, verse 22. But he didn't read the first verse. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That means 100% equal. That means no more making up things, men. That means no more, yeah, but God said to these people in the Old Testament, Jesus said, it's a new world. I've come to do something new. I don't mean to get loud. I promise myself I'm not going to. But here's the thing. The world will not change via Christians until men get this right. I'm hoping today, I'm praying today, that not by my words, but by Jesus' words, that some of you men fall on your face and repent and then go home and beg your wife for forgiveness that you have blamed God for the way you've treated her. And then, maybe we can redefine what love is in the church. And what marriage is in the church. Because marriage, Jesus said, is no longer characterized by a woman submitting to a man. Marriage, Jesus said, is now characterized by mutual care and submission, not male domination. No more. So, now, it's a submission contest. Risha and I have been married 13 years today ah you should be clapping for her because she's got this thing yeah you know and 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 i'm not our marriage is not perfect and i don't want you to get that impression but i can tell you this i have never one time in my life said honey read ephesians chapter five i can't even say finish the rest of that (laughs) i have never one time said well you know what the man is the head of the household so you can give me your opinion if you want, but the decision is mine. She's back there and I still whispered it. <laughs> and I'm not saying it because I'm scared of her. I'm saying it because she is the love of my life. And you know what I feel about her? If, if our marriage was a door, I would say, honey, you go first. Honey, you go first. And she would say this to me and she does every day. No, honey, you go first. And so our marriage contest... The contest we have in our marriage is a submission contest. No, let me submit. No, you let me submit. No, you go first. Now, neither one of us ever go through the door, but we, you go first. No, you go first. And let me tell you, we don't yell at each other. We don't argue each other. We just don't. Because in the middle of who we are, we realize that God has called us to submit to one another. And for everything I have in this church, if I'm here another 30 years, this church feels differently about women than most churches. But we still have some stuff left over. And it is holding us back. And in my time here, whatever time that is, I want it to change. My daughter's growing up. And if... (laughs) She will not live like this. Jesus said no. And I'm enforcing it. I got two more. Spirituality. The word spiritually, there are words everywhere. We need to redefine it. Spiritually, it's not about how, not about what you know. It's about how you love. We like to think of the most spiritual people as the people who know Scripture the best. We like to think of the spiritual guy as the one standing up with a microphone on his head. But it doesn't mean, this means nothing. My words have nothing to do with my spirituality. Before Jesus came, this was spirituality. Getting up and standing and talk to you, that was spiritual. I was spiritual because I knew more than you. Jesus said no more. Spirituality is not measured by what you know anymore. This is why I think it's dangerous for us to teach our kids the names of Moses' children without teaching them how to love the next door neighbor. This is not what Jesus wanted for us. Bible bowls where we memorize the books of the Old Testament and the years that they were developed mean nothing. In fact, set us back if we aren't loving first. Jesus said, now... Love is measured different. Spirituality is measured different. Paul would say this. He would say the fruits of the Spirit. You know what that means? It's how you know that you're spiritual. The way you know you're spiritual is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah, but what about intellectual things? What about schooling? What about Bible college? What? Nope, none of those. It's all outward. Here's a list of those here. Next slide. They're all horizontal things. No more vertical things. They're all horizontal. These fruits of the Spirit are sacrificial. They cost you something. If you want to be spiritual, you don't read more devotions. That doesn't make you spiritual. So if you're leaving this church ever and you go, boy, I need to be more spiritual. Hey, can you give me a book that I can read to make me more spiritual? Nope. Hey, can I have a quiet time in a journal and that'll make me more spiritual? Nope. You want to go be more spiritual? Go dig a hole. For somebody who needs it, go find somebody who's hurting Then you're more spiritual. That's what Paul says. They're sacrificial. They're cross-cultural. That hurts some of your feelings because you love to talk about Muslim people. You love to talk about their religion and how it's in infiltrating America. and how it's, And God says, you know what? You're not any more spiritual. You go love on them and you let me deal with the rest. Stop talking about people who don't look like you. Stop talking about people who don't believe what you believe or feel the way you feel. Love them instead and love everybody you walk in front of. That's what makes you spiritual. Never be fooled by a man or a woman who seems to know a lot but doesn't love a lot. I'll say that one again. That's good, wasn't it? Never be fooled by a man or a woman who seems to know a lot but doesn't love a lot. Last thing we're going to to redefine is the word holiness. And then I'm almost done. Rich is going to kill me. The kids are back there. Holiness. It's about, we used to say that holiness was about being set apart. And that's what I told you at the beginning of the sermon, that God did set a group of people apart in the Old Testament. He needed to. And that was a part of his plan. And that gave birth to Jesus and the Messiah. And a new plan where holiness is no longer about keeping yourself apart from people who don't think, feel, and act the way you do and believe. In fact, Jesus was to say everything were to change. John would to say here in John chapter one, the Word God became flesh Ooey, gooey, gross, bloody, mucusy, snotty, poopy flesh. That's what God became. In the Old Testament, if that scripture—if you'd have read that old, that scripture to Moses, he would have stoned you. To think that God would defile himself and become a human, Jesus said it happened. He became flesh, and He dwelt among us. He lived where we live, and we saw His glory, full of grace and truth. The entire Old Testament was written for a nation that God had called to be apart from everyone else. But Jesus said, it's a new day. And when He left, next slide, when He left, Jesus said, stop being apart. Stop gathering all the time. Stop just sucking in and making sure. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this morning, but I'd like for you to ask yourself, if you're a Christian and you've been a long time, how many non-Christian people do you know? Now, I don't mean the guy at the gas station you get gas from. How many non-Christian people have you had breakfast with, lunch with, dinner with in a long time? Jesus said, this is the new measure of holiness. How many people you go get, not go share your faith, tell your story, have evangelism, not that, how many people you go outside and love He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We read it all the time, but the disciples, his disciples would have said, no, you don't mean that, Jesus. You mean like of Montana and California and the places just around us, right? Because those people don't look like us and they worship a whole other God and Jesus goes, no, all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commended you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So holy where in the Old Testament, holy was clean. Holy meant clean. It meant that I need to, in fact, they did sacramental cleaning. They would go in and they would clean up and they wouldn't touch blood. And they, lots of people couldn't do things because they couldn't get dirty. But Jesus came and he says this, holy people now have dirty hands. Dirty is the new holy. In fact, let me just say this right now. This guy on stage right now, this and this like, clean outfit right here, this is not Holy. Megan, Morgan, Peden, sorry. Morgan Peden, I still get him confused. Morgan Peden, whose hands are dirty with your kid's diapers. That's holiness. My, do- my, my wife back here, who's been up since 5 o'clock in the morning cutting things out and wiping your kid's nose right now, that's holiness. This isn't holiness. I'll do, that l- I'll do holiness later. This isn't holiness. And don't you get confused that being in a pew that, that doing something that makes people think you're a Christian makes you holy. Because Jesus says, dirty is the new holy. Go get your hands dirty. Okay, band, you can come up. That's a good sign, right? So I say this all the time, and people say this all the time, and I just want you to know I mean it with all my heart. That I believe we can really make a difference in this community. I believe we can change the world again. It was changed once, 2,000 years ago, and then we kind of it got diluted with a bunch of rules and stuff that we started making up. I believe we can get back to that. Churches in America are doing this. They're starting to get back to loving people first, and it's changing their areas. Bud and Stacy and Rick and my wife and Lee Mitchell and Charlie went to a place this weekend that's like that. It's changing the South, this church, because they love people first. This is not, wouldn't be brand new if we were doing it. We can change this culture. I believe that. But it will not happen at the voting booth. It won't. It will not happen with you sitting in your recliner and talking about, he- about America going to hell in a handbasket. I always have to say it with a little hick accent. It won't happen that way. This brand of Christianity that Jesus started will change the world. It did once. And it's that brand that will change it again. So today, I'm going to ask you, are you engaged? What if you engaged in this church? What if you didn't just sit in a pew? What if you didn't just come when you felt guilty and did that, hey God, we okay now? Because God says, yes, you're okay. I died for you. Anybody who dies for you is for you. So yes, I'm for you. Now go make it horizontal. Stop this and start this. What if you really did engage? What if you showed up on May 17th, had a free lunch, and just test the waters? What if? What are the implications? What if you leveraged your authority for the sake of others? I've been working on this with the guys that I, I employ. And I just heard one say the other day, oh, I got a good job offer, and I went, uh oh. It's like twice the money. Uh Uh-oh. They're doing huge things with video. Uh Uh-oh. He goes, I couldn't ever leave this place. I couldn't ever imagine finding another boss who cares more about me than he does about the business. And I went, it works. It works. This is not some preacher talk. This is not pretend it works. What are the implications in your life with your employees if you were to say, it's not about me making money. It's not about me doing this. It's not about you doing the hard work of me. It's about you and your family and your wife and your kids and your life and getting close to God if that's the case with you. What if you change the way you talk to your, your kids? What if your marriage could become a submission contest? I'm not even going any farther with that because it's so many cans of worms that would open right now, you'd all start crying. What if you could submit Men, what if you started, because that was the heart of what Paul said, it's a submission contest, and men, you go first. What if you made your spirituality about horizontal, not about the vertical? What if you got up in the mornings and you started thinking, well, instead of having devotion time, maybe I cut my devotion time in half, and I go spend the other time getting out of my recliner with my cup of coffee and going and getting my hands dirty and doing something? What if you made your spirituality horizontal, and what if you pursued holiness Jesus' way by getting your hands dirty? I'm going to end this sermon series. I'm done right now. The big question, when this whole thing is over, I don't even know where I'm going next week. Usually I know, I don't even know. This has taken all I have. And the big question, with all five of those things, in the entire Jesus model, if you want to pick up in your life, if you want to pick up the simple tool that is the most demanding thing you'll ever do and have the life that God intended for you, the question you ask is not, is it legal? It's not, is that in the Bible? It's, what does love require of me now? Next. That's it. I'm going to shut up because I've said enough. It's God's turn. I'm hoping that some of you can't even sing this next song because God is doing such a number on your heart this morning. I'm going to let God do his thing. I'll go right back there if he does something you, I need to be helpful with. I love you so much. And five years from now, we're going to have put some of this stuff that's holding us back behind us, and we're going to go change the world the way it changed the first time, the way God intended. Would you stand with us and sing this song?